while back, uh, I was sharing with someone about Christ, and the person I was sharing with asked me an interesting question. She asked me this. She says, tell me this, why is it that Christianity is so widespread and embraced all around the world by people of all different nationalities? She, she asked, how did something that started out as a Jewish thing become such a non-Jewish thing? How did these teachings that started out in the Middle East amongst a handful of Jews become a worldwide system of belief? That's a good question, isn't it? How would you answer that question? What if someone were to ask you, why are there followers of Christ in Texas? And how did God's word spread to us? Why are there churches on every corner of town? Why do we have the Bible in our own language, written in a way we can understand it? Why do we gather here on Sundays and open up God's word together and have scripture reading and pray together and sing songs together and have sermons and Bible studies and take communion and have baptisms? Why? How would you answer that question? Some of you have been in our FBU class this past fall on the history of the church, you should be able to answer some of these questions, right? And we also find many of these answers in the book we're going to be studying through this next year, the book of Acts. So if you have your Bibles, turn there now to the book of Acts. For this next year and then some, we're going to be here, all right? I'm not promising you will be done in a year. It's a hefty book. But in this book, we come to understand how and why we are here. Why there are churches everywhere in most countries across the world and in most cities in the U.S. In this book, we get a better understanding, folks, of why we do what we do each and every Sunday morning and why we believe what we believe as a church and teach what we teach, and have the Bible in our own language that we can look to and read and study. We learn in this book, the book of Acts, that all of these things are true. All of these things, the reason for all of these things is because our God, the one true God of the Scriptures, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and the God of David and the God who sent Christ, is a God who wants to be known and worshipped where he is not known and worshipped. And we learn in this book that he has gone to great lengths to make that happen, right? Though this point that God desires to be known is made all throughout the Old and New Testament, this truth, That God is a missional God, a God who wants to be known and worshipped everywhere is a truth that is pinpointed, highlighted, emphasized, stressed, underlined all throughout the book of Acts. The main point in the book of Acts is that our God does not want to simply be known and worshipped by a small sect of Jewish people in Jerusalem. 
He desires to be known by all peoples to the ends of the earth. So today we're starting this new series, the first of this new year, through the book of Acts. And I have entitled this series, To the Ends of the Earth. Because in this book, we find Christ's commission to His church to be His witnesses to the ends of the earth. And we have the story of how they go out and they take the gospel out to the ends of the earth and how the gospel spread all over the known world. But before we jump in, we dig into this book, what I want to do for the rest of this morning is I want to share with you a bit of background on the book of Acts before we begin because I really believe that this will be helpful to you in in studying through this book as we preach through this book and go through it together. Because this is a hefty book, a big book of 28 chapters, right? First, let's talk about the author of the book. The author. Though he's never mentioned as the author in the book, we know that Luke wrote Acts. There is very little debate on this. Those from the early church were all in agreement that Luke was in fact the author. And some will ask, well, if it's anonymous, how do we know? Why are we so confident that Luke wrote the book of Acts? Well, the reason why is because this book is written in connection with and as a continuation of Luke's gospel account. Let me show you where we see this. Look at Acts chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Luke says this, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach, until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Notice here, the author of Acts makes mention of another book, of the first book that he wrote to this person named Theophilus. And what is this first book that the author is referring to? Well, do me a favor, mark where you are, flip back a couple of books to the book of Luke. Look at Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Listen to what Luke says. He says, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. There he is again. So Luke writes his gospel to Theophilus, and then he writes Acts to Theophilus as well. He makes mention of him once again. And he tells Theophilus very clearly that the book of Acts is meant to be a continuation of what was written in Luke. Many scholars have said that the gospel of Luke and the book of Acts make up Luke's complete account of all that Jesus did and taught during his earthly ministry and all that he continued to do and teach after his death and burial and resurrection and ascension through his spirit and through his apostles. So the book of Acts is to be considered volume two 
to the Gospel of Luke. You got it? A little more about Luke. He was a secondary figure in the Scriptures. He was not one of the original 12. He was not an apostle. He was not even Jewish. Did y'all know that? Luke was a, a Gentile. The only Gentile that we know of who authored books in the Bible. He is also a physician. He was a physician. As Paul closes out his letter to the Colossians, he makes mention of this. He says, Luke, the beloved physician, greets you. Luke was a physician. He was highly educated, probably one of the most intelligent of the writers in the New Testament. His two books, Luke and Acts, are considered by Greek scholars to be the best Greek in the New Testament. Excellent Greek. Much different than some of the other writings. Grammatically, Luke was, Luke was very, very smart. Many scholars today are also impressed with the historical precision in which Luke wrote. So on top of being a physician, Luke was a gifted writer, and he was also considered to be a great historian. Luke was a very, very smart guy, okay? He was closely associated with the apostles from around the time of Jesus' death to about 63 A.D. And for that 30-year period, Luke gathered and recorded information from the events that happened under the divine inspiration, of course. He recorded the events that happened during Jesus' earthly ministry and also He recorded what was happening as the gospel was spreading through the power of the Spirit and through the ministry of the apostles. So that's who wrote it, okay? Now let's talk about who he's writing to. Let's talk about Luke's audience here. Like we said, like the book of Luke, Luke dedicates the book of Acts to an individual named Theophilus. And though he is only mentioned in the prefaces of both books, the book of Luke and Acts, many believe Theophilus was a close acquaintance of Paul's. Some say he was probably a Gentile convert to Christianity who wanted to know more about who Jesus was and what he said and what he did and what he accomplished during his earthly ministry and also probably wanted some details into the early ministry of the apostles as well. And some also believe that Theophilus may have even provided financial support for Luke in ministry, which is why Luke dedicates both books to him, but we don't know that for sure. What we do know is that Luke dedicates both of these books to him, but we later learn that Possibly Luke, and most assuredly God, who is ultimately responsible for writing this book, they have a bigger audience in mind, right? Which is why we've got the book of Acts open today and are studying through it. Let's look at the date. The book of Acts is thought to have been written around 62 to 63 A.D. This is around the time of Paul's imprisonment in Rome. Some, however, have questioned this. Because normally there was a lapse in time between when the events occurred in the New Testament and the time in which they were written. But the reason why many scholars argue against this in Acts, the reason why they say that Luke wrote this book shortly after the last recorded events in Acts 28 is because he leaves us hanging at the end of the book on what happens to Paul. 
He leaves Paul in prison in Rome. Many believe that if Luke knew what was going to happen to Paul, he would have probably have told us how things turn out for Paul in Rome. Many believe because he doesn't, that indicates that he probably wrote this book during the two years when Paul was detained in Rome. The events recorded in the book of Acts, they take place over a 30-year period. And we know that because Luke gives us a lot of detail. Remember, he was a historian, Luke was. So he gives us a lot of detailed information so that we can really date the book pretty well. He gives us a lot of details about the time when these events went down. We know that Jesus' ascension and the martyrdom of Stephen and the conversion of Saul take place in the mid to late 30s. We know that the Jerusalem Council, also mentioned in the book of Acts, we'll talk about that later, it took place around A.D. 49, and we know that Paul was arrested in Jerusalem around A.D. 57, and he ends up in Rome in the early 60s. So the book of Acts covers that time period, a little less than, than 30 years time period. Now let's look at the reason Luke writes this book. Because Acts is such a large book that spans a long period of time of over 30 years, and because this book covers a lot of of key events in early Christian life, we could give many different reasons, couldn't we, for why Luke writes this book. And we're going to discuss many of these in this series. However, though he had various reasons for writing, there is one reason Luke writes that supersedes all others. And it's found in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Look there, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. This is the key verse in the book. Remember, Luke says in Acts 1-1 that he wrote his first book, the Gospel of Luke, to explain all that Jesus began to do and teach. Well, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, we learn that the book of Acts is written to explain the continuing work of Christ through his Spirit and through his apostles. Luke is In Luke, Gospel of Luke, he's writing all that Jesus began to do and teach. And then in Acts, Luke's writing about the continuing work of Christ, what he continued to do through his apostles. The the book of Acts is written to explain the continuing work of Christ in advancing God's kingdom and spreading his gospel and building his church through the power of his Holy Spirit and the ministry of his apostles to the ends of the earth. Look at what Jesus says in Acts 1.8. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will all, you will, you, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is the key verse in Acts. Here we see that before Jesus' ascension, get this, he tells his disciples everything that's going to happen in the book. He tells him everything that's going to happen throughout the rest of the book. Look, look, look at what he says. He says, you'll receive power on high 
from the Holy Spirit, then you're going to go out and you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Then you're going to go out to Judea and Samaria. And then you're going to go out to the uttermost parts, to the ends of the earth. And Luke, after this verse of scripture, he goes on in his book to explain in great detail how this great work is accomplished. And this verse here, Acts 1-8, can really serve as the outline of the book of Acts. In chapter 2, Christ's followers were empowered by the Holy Spirit, and they immediately become witnesses for the Lord in Jerusalem. Acts chapter 2 through 7. Judea and Samaria. Acts chapter 8 through 10. And to the ends of the earth, Acts chapter 11 through 28. That's an easy way to outline the book of Acts. I have included a more detailed outline for you in your notes, and I'm going to show it up on the screen. It's up on the screen right now, okay? This outline will really help you. You can use it as you study through this book this next year. You can divide the book of Acts up into six sections. The first section is found in Acts chapter 1, verse 1, through Acts chapter 6, verse 7. This section is all about the start of Christianity in Jerusalem. In this section, Luke explains how and where the church began. Jerusalem is where it all started, which is exactly what Jesus said would happen, by the way, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. In this section of Scripture, we learn that the Spirit of God was poured out on Christ's followers. They were empowered, and they become witnesses for Him, just like Jesus said in Acts chapter 1. In Acts 2, you have the preaching of Peter at Pentecost. And an incredible response at the end of that chapter. We're told in verse 41 of Acts chapter 2 that after Peter preached, the number of Christ's followers grew to 3,000. They started with 120. There was 120 and they grew to 3,000. That's quite a response, isn't it? That was the start of the church in Jerusalem. And Luke ends this first section in Acts chapter 6, verse 7. Turn over there. You're going to have to be quick to work with me here. I'm not going to leave Acts, but you're going to have to be quick. Acts 6, 7. Look at what he says. This is the end of that first section. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. That's awesome, isn't it? So many of the Jews came to Christ during this period of time and the church was started. The second section in this book begins in Acts chapter 6 verse 8. In this section we learn how and why Christianity went out from Jerusalem into Judea and Samaria and spread throughout those places. In this section, this section begins with the brief ministry of Stephen. Stephen was a bold and faithful follower of Christ. He was a strong witness for Christ, which resulted in him dying a martyr's death. He was the first Christian martyr, the first to die for the cause of Christ after Christ's ascension, after the church was formed, the first person to be put to death. In this way, and after he was killed, we're told that the believers began to be persecuted all throughout 
Jerusalem. And one of the guys who was leading the charge against Christianity was a man by the name of Saul, who will later become known as Paul the Apostle. But before his conversion, Luke tells us that Saul was a great enemy of the church and a great enemy of the Christian faith. And the persecution that took place under Paul's leadership that led to Stephen's martyrdom in Jerusalem. After that, persecution spread and it pushed the Christians and the Christian message out from Jerusalem into Judea and Samaria. Look at Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. It says, And Saul approved of Stephen's execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Look at verse 4. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. That's awesome, isn't it? You know, we've learned in the past that though God is not the author of evil, though he does not cause it, he does at times allow it, and he certainly uses it for his good and for his glory. And you definitely see that here. God used these evils done by these wicked men for good. Though his people were being pushed out of Jerusalem due to persecution, God used those who were forced outside the city to advance his kingdom to Judea and Samaria. Toward the end of this section, you also have one of the most incredible and miraculous conversions ever recorded in the scriptures, the conversion of Paul. We learn from scripture that after encountering the risen Christ on the Damascus Road, Paul went from being one of the greatest enemies of the Christian faith to being one of the most faithful, devout followers of Christ to ever live. And in chapter 9 of Acts, at the conversion of Saul of Tarsus, we have a major division in the book. See, this book is big. It can be divided up in all different types of ways. We're dividing it up in six Six uh, sections here. I said it could be divided up into three sections, looking at Acts 1-8, Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It can also be divided in half as well. In chapters 1 through 8, Luke focuses mainly on the ministry of Peter to the Jews. And then in Acts chapter 9 through 28, after the conversion of Paul, Luke focuses mainly on Paul's ministry to the Gentiles, which we'll talk about more in just a moment. But notice here how Luke ends section 2 in Acts chapter 9, verse 31. He ends by saying in Acts 9, 31, So the church throughout all Judea, and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. It, here comes that word again, it, the ministry of the Lord Jesus in Judea and Samaria multiplied. So we learn here, once again, Christ 
through his Holy Spirit, is doing a great work through his apostles and in his world. Not only did he multiply the work in Jerusalem, but he multiplied the work all throughout Judea and Samaria. Now let's look at the third section in the book of Acts. The third section is found in Acts chapter 9, 32, through Acts chapter 12, verse 24. In this section, we learn about the start and spread of Christianity to the Gentiles. After Paul is converted, the work of God explodes. In this section, we begin to see large numbers of Gentiles coming to Christ. A large number are reached in the city of Antioch, and we're told there that followers of Christ were first called followers of Christ at Antioch. They were called Christians at Antioch first. And we also learn of the Gentile Cornelius coming to Christ through the ministry of Peter in Acts chapter 10. And at the end of Acts 10, we learn that the Holy Spirit was also poured out on the Gentiles in the same way he was poured out on the Jews in Acts chapter 2. Luke tells us in Acts 10, 44. Turn over there and look here. Acts 10, 44. The Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised, that's the Jewish believers they were looking on, who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. And the summary of this section of Scripture comes in Acts chapter 12, verse 24. Luke says this, But the word of God increased and multiplied. There's that word again. God is on the move, isn't he? He's on the move. The fourth section in Acts is found in Acts 12, 25, and it runs through Acts chapter 16, verse 5. In this section, we learn of the birth of the church in Asia Minor and Paul's mission ministry through Galatia. Here's a map of Galatia up on the screen in the first century. In this section in Acts, we're told that Paul and Barnabas took the gospel to Cyprus, then to Antioch and Pisidia, then to Iconium, then to Lystra, and also to Antioch in Syria. And in this section, you also have the great Jerusalem council that met. This was a group of Jewish Christians that got together and they gathered together to discuss what needed to be done about the Gentile Christians. They, they were, there were a lot of Gentiles coming to Christ, so they get together and they basically say, are there any additional requirements that are needed that we need to place upon the Gentiles for them to come to Christ and be true, legit followers of Him? And during this council, you remember Paul and Barnabas, they tell of their ministry to the Gentiles. And they explain how God is just as much at work amongst the Gentiles as he is with the Jews. And after that, Peter makes the great declaration that the Jews, same as the Gentiles, are saved by grace alone through faith in Christ alone. Very important council there, the Jerusalem council. This section ends in Acts chapter 16, verse 5, with these words. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. So that's section 4. Section 5 in this book begins in Acts chapter 16. It's verse 6. You have verse 16 in your notes. 
Scribble that out, put verse 6. That's a mistake on my part. Acts 16, 6, and goes through Acts chapter 19, verse 20. In this section, Luke tells of Paul's ministry through Macedonia, Achaia, and Asia. Here's a map of that area here. Luke tells of Paul taking the gospel in this section to the cities of Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea and Athens and even further out to the great Gentile cities of Corinth and Ephesus. And notice once again, Luke ends this section, verse 20 of Acts chapter 19, with these words. You have them in your spiritual growth guide, by the way. Acts 19, verse 20. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevailed mightily. So God's gospel is taking root everywhere, isn't it? Spreading like wildfire. The kingdom is advancing to the uttermost parts, to the ends of the earth. And the sixth and final section of Acts is found in Acts chapter 19, verse 21, through to the end of the book. In this section we learn, Paul finally reaches Rome. But he doesn't reach Rome a free man, does he? He's under house arrest. He is in Rome, in his own private quarters, rented quarters, with a guard assigned to watch him. And though he's unable to leave his quarters, he invites people to come to him. And we're told that Paul, from prison, under arrest, continues to preach the gospel in Rome. And the book of Acts closes with these words. Look at them up on the screen. Acts 28, 30 through 31. Luke tells us this. Paul lived in Rome for two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. That's where Luke ends. So the book of Acts... It covers a 30-year period. And during that span of time, folks, God's work blew up. It, it, it spread. It flourished everywhere. We learn in this book, in these sections of Scripture, that God's gospel was on the move. His kingdom was advancing. Churches were being started everywhere. First in Jerusalem, then throughout Judea and Samaria, and on to the, the Gentiles in Asia Minor, and Galatia, and on to the Gentile cities of Ephesus and Corinth, and then on to Rome. This work that started out with a handful of 120 faithful men and women in 30 years spread across the known world. And the success of this ministry should tell us something, folks. Listen, this is a work of God. This is a work that God is doing. Though God used faithful men in a mighty way to spread his gospel and advance his kingdom, this work has God's fingerprints all over it. This is a mighty work of God. Remember when we were in the Minor Prophets section of Scripture and I told you that the books written in that section of Scripture, they spanned a period of time of 400 years? Remember that? And in 400 years, one thing we learn, book after book, is that God's people didn't learn much. They didn't grow much. 
spiritually. In fact, they went from bad to worse, didn't they? They went from prosperity to poverty to economic ruin to exile and back again. And though they returned to the land of promise and they rebuilt God's temple without, you know, God had to prod them to do it, didn't he? But they rebuilt the temple. We learn in Haggai and Zechariah and Malachi that even after that, they were still nowhere close to where they needed to be. They were still going through the motions in worship, giving lip service to God, offering him the rest rather than the best. After 400 years of God sending prophets, his people were going through the motions in worship, still struggling spiritually. They needed divine intervention, which is what God promised he would provide. Remember in Joel, he promised that there was coming a day when God's spirit was going to be poured out. And then this great work of God was going to follow. That's what we have here in the book of Acts. And that's why in just 30 years, God's gospel goes out from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and all across the known world with churches started everywhere in between. Though this book is called the Act of the Apostles by a lot of folks, the the efforts of the faithful, though great, would have been futile were it not for the Holy Spirit. Did you know that? Jesus even tells them that in Acts chapter 1. In Acts chapter 1 verse 4, he tells them to wait. Don't do anything until the promise of the Father. Wait on the Holy Spirit. And then in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, he says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and then and only then... Will you go out and do this great work? And the reason why is because the Holy Spirit is the power behind the work of God. And he is the one who deserves all the credit for the spread of God's gospel and the advancement of God's kingdom all throughout the known world. So a better title for this book is The Acts of the Holy Spirit Through the Apostles, right? This book is is an account of the great work that God did through his faithful followers. And we should know that, right? We should know this is a work of God. We should know that this work is bigger than just the apostles in the early church. Because remember, they all died in the first century. And even after they died, this great work continued for years to come. Those of you who have been in FBU this, this past fall, you know about this work. If you, as you've been studying through the history of the church, you know that after the apostles, God continued to raise up and empower faithful followers of Christ to advance his kingdom. Though Luke's book ends in Rome, we know that's not the end of the story, right? Or we would not be sitting here in Jacksonville, Texas. We know, especially those of you who have been studying this past fall through Christian history, I'm making a plug for FBU here. You know, Luke leaves Paul in Rome. That's not the end of the story. The gospel continues to spread and eventually spread to us. And it's still on the move today. The Holy Spirit 
is at work today. He's on the move today. That's the reason the gospel is spreading this very day. That's the reason God's kingdom is advancing this very day. His word's being translated. The person and work of Christ is being shared. Churches are being started all over the known world because God the Holy Spirit is at work through God's people and in God's world today. The work that God started 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem is taking place this very day. The Spirit of God through the people of God is advancing the kingdom of God today. He's using God's people today to take this message out and make Christ known so that people will respond to him in faith and be brought back into a right relationship with God and will be brought together with God's people. Folks, God's desire then is his desire today. Nothing has changed. He wants to be known where he is not known. He wants to be known and worshipped where he is not known and worshipped today. And he is at work today through the Spirit and through his faithful followers to make himself known. And the question you need to ask yourself this morning is simply this. Do you know him? Do you know him? Is he your God? Have you responded to his son? Have you made Christ your Lord? I have no doubt there are some in here this morning who could answer confidently no to all those questions. Listen, if this is you, my prayer for you this morning is that today be the day. Now be the time for your salvation. This great work of God, this great work of salvation that that Christ accomplished 2,000 years ago at Calvary that was applied by His Holy Spirit to His apostles that spread throughout Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria into Asia Minor and Galatia and Ephesus and Corinth and Rome and continued on to Europe and eventually made its way to the Americas and over time made it to East Texas can be experienced by you this very morning. But for that to happen, you must first realize your need for what Christ has done for you and receive His great work of salvation that He accomplished on your behalf. You need to receive that by faith. Faith alone. Scripture is clear. Though God created us in right relationship with Himself, we turned away from Him. We sinned against him. And as a result of our sin, our relationship with God was was broken. But though that's the case, Scripture also tells us that God demonstrated his great love for us and that while we were still sinners, God sent his son, the Lord Jesus, to live for us, to give his life up for us so that we, through him, through his life, death, and resurrection could be made right with God, be brought back in to a right relationship with God through Christ. And if you're here this morning, you have not responded to this great work that Christ has accomplished for you, I pray today be the day. Now be the time for your salvation. Let's pray.